Is God, the God of the Bible, of Christianity and Judaism, is God a judgmental monster? Well, depending on what you have learned, experienced, and have been taught in life, that might be your takeaway. But as we have been learning in the series, the Search for Truth Bible Study series, we find a very different picture. In this video, we're going to be looking at sin's effect on humanity once Adam and Eve chose to rebel and sin against God and how that sin began to reveal itself, display itself through their offspring and through the generations that follow. If this is the first time we're meeting, my name is Chris and this is Foundation Bible Studies where I seek to help connect you with your creator and Jesus Christ, both informationally and experientially. So that way you can fulfill the purpose that you were created for. Now, we'll jump into the content, but I want to encourage you, if you want, you can connect with me on my social media links. I will link them down below, uh, as well as any resources that I mentioned, including the book and the study from which these charts come from. I'll link them down below as well. And like, subscribe, share the video if you take anything away from it. That way, you know when I upload new videos. And let's jump into the content. So in the last video, we talked about Cain becoming a wanderer uh, where he was not going to have any real place of his own, how the earth was no longer going to give him of the fruits that it would produce from the seeds that are planted in it, as well as the mark that God put on Cain in order to mark him as a recipient of God's long suffering and mercy. In this second portion of this lesson, we're going to look at how uh, just how sin began to affect the following generations and just how bad it began to get. So Cain becomes a wanderer. And when Cain kills his brother Abel, it cuts off what we call the righteous line, meaning those uh, to be righteous means that we fall in line with whatever the proper moral standard is. So we talk about like good citizen awards back in the day, probably. I don't know about now, especially here in America. That would be kind of an example of being righteous. Maybe not according to God's standards, but according to our civil standards, we were righteous. We were we were observed to be good citizens or uh, sometimes we say good Samaritan awards. Abel fell in line with God according to what God desired and requested and dare I would say needed uh, in order to maintain that relationship. There are some needs that have to be met in order to maintain relationships. And when those needs aren't met, relationships begin to crumble and fall apart. And so when Abel was killed, all you had was Oh, not all you had, but big picture is what we see is Cain and his descendants. Cain's descendants went on to do some pretty good things. They some developed iron or bronze. Uh, others developed tools like iron tools or bronze tools and musical instruments. Others became herdsmen or, or cattlemen. Uh, they began to perhaps wander around with cattle and herd cattle. But when it came to proper relationship with God, Cain's line and his descendants were going to take on his attributes because our children pick up the things that they observe and what they are taught. Largely, mostly observed. So if Cain stopped giving sacrifices, 
you wouldn't expect the children to give sacrifices. And the nature of sin, it always draws it always draws together those who are like-minded. So if Cain had brothers and sisters, nieces and nephews who gave in and and perhaps Cain started propagating that God was unjust or unfair and those who felt like-minded because they too have a sinful, degraded human nature and humanity, then we would see them begin to drift in favor of Cain's perspective. But God did not stop there. He he gave another son who would be a figurehead for devotion to God. Now, as mentioned in the previous lesson in chapter five of Genesis, it says that Adam and Eve had many sons and daughters. Cain and Abel and Seth were not the only ones. They're just the ones that God mentions in order to give us some clear depictions of what he wants us to understand about how sin affects humanity, how sin affects families, and how sin um, and what it looks to be righteous and, and the devotion to the one true God, to our creator, how, how people try to hang on, hold on to it, and then how, in some regards, it was let go. And so in Genesis chapter 4, verses 25 and 26, this is where we find out about Seth. In verse 25, it says, Adam was intimate with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has given me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. 26, a son was born to Seth also, and he named him Enosh. These are Middle Eastern Hebraic names, Semitic names, so they may sound funny. But our names will sound funny to Middle Easterners and to those around the Mediterranean, unless we have like a Greek-based name or something like that. So Seth had a son. A son was born to Seth also, and he named him Enosh or Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of Yahweh or the name of the Lord. And so what this is depicting or conveying, if you're listening on the podcast, what it's saying is when people call on the name of God, these are uh, this is not just a one-time act like, oh, God, help me, and then you never hear from them again. This is a phrase indicating that these individuals, as you'll find out through, other, through the rest of the series, such as with Abraham and different ones, this was a sign, this was communicating that these people stayed devoted to God. They, to call upon the name of a deity, it communicated devotion to that deity. It communicated relationship to that deity. Whenever I call somebody's name, I call my wife's name, I call my kid's name, or they call my name, or they call my wife's name, it indicates relationship. It indicates uh, a knowing. If it's a friend that calls us or we call them, they yell out to us, we yell out to them. It, it indicates uh, familiarity. And so, and and it's not, one and or the other. It's all these things combined. And so this is just conveying that when Seth was born and he had a son, Seth learned from his father. And this is what your deductive reasoning, uh, taking away things, pulling things out. You have Adam and Eve, they Cain and Abel and all the other children. But with Seth and Enosh specifically, God points out that it is through Seth's line that people began to be devoted. They they were kind of the figurehead 
parts of the family when it came to devotion to the Lord. So Seth is born and people begin to call upon the name of the Lord again. Now, what we see through the rest, through a lot of the Bible, through a lot of God's word is God is tracing this line of righteous people. Not that they were perfect, but they did their best to stay faithful to God and devoted to God. The next person we learn about is Enoch and we find, or Enoch, uh, I pronounce it Enoch, uh, in Genesis chapter 5. Now, he is a descendant of Seth, this righteous line, but he is a great example of, of what it means to be faithful even when a large part of the world around us becomes unfaithful. And so in Genesis chapter 5, in verse 24, Enoch is one of Seth's descendants, and this is kind of a lot of all it says about Enoch, but it says so much, even though it's so little. It says that Enoch walked with God. Then he was not there because God took him. And what we learn is that the world became so wicked that it, it gets so bad that God regrets making mankind. But this is another phrase you're going to find out through throughout the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, uh, this walking with God and and two people uh, principally, whether you're walking together, riding in a car together. I mean, you could ride in a car together and not get along with the person, but that's not something we would typically want to do necessarily. If we could, we'd probably ride, get our own ride, you know, um, but this walking together, it indicates two people walking down a pathway, talking about ancient times, they didn't have vehicles. Um, in that regard, in the regard we do today, they are walking down a path together. They are traveling together out of wanting to travel together. So we talk about life as a journey. Enoch traveled his life's journey with God. God, he invited God on the journey with him. God is always present in, in all circumstances. But when it comes to that, when it comes to companionship, you know, people have to willingly let us in to have that companionship as well as we have to desire the companionship. If you don't desire it, then people just become an annoyance. And so God, uh, Enoch walked with God. Enoch wanted God with him on his life's journey. And he was, Enoch was so faithful to God that when everything began to melt down in the world of their time, God took him from the earth, uh, literally took him, snatched him up. And you'll see this in another place in a further study. But God, he, it says, then he was not because God took him. God took him from the earth. Now, in the New Testament, we find that Enoch is mentioned a couple of times. But in talking about this faithfulness aspect, uh, the writer of the letter to the Jewish Christians, or what is called the letter to the Hebrews, but the Jewish Christians. In chapter 11 of that letter, we find a little bit more information about Enoch, a little bit more elaboration, still not a whole bunch, but a little bit more. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken away, so he did not experience death, and he was not to be found because God took him away. For prior to his removal, he was approved since he had pleased God. Remember yet again, if I didn't mention it already, perhaps I mentioned in the in the previous in part one, 
pleasing God is not God being a domineering, dictating thing, and we're just these uh, subservient. Like, he doesn't view us that way. Even though there's that aspect of service, we're not, like, groveling servants at this dictating, overbearing king. No, it's it's this relationship of, like, father and son pleasing. Uh, my kids do what I've taught them to do, and they do it in a way uh, you know, perhaps we're cleaning the house or perhaps we're I recently a few days ago now cut my my front grass and, and I had to weed the flower beds out in order for it to look nice. And, and if I teach my children, OK, when we do the grass, if we have the time, we're doing the grass and we're doing the flower beds to make it look good. But once I hand that job over to them as they get older, if all they do is cut the grass and the flower beds are overgrown with weeds and that's not pleasing. It's it you're you're it's a whole picture thing, but it's a relational thing because perhaps I'm handing that part off to them, so maybe I can do uh, the little bit of backyard that we got, you know, and it's a partnership. So it's just giving these kind of principles of understanding when we're talking about pleasing God. So here it talks about that he was approved of God and God took him from the earth because his life was pleasing to God. Now, in talking about Enoch one more time, there is one other thing I want to bring up about this time because I mentioned how things got so bad in Enoch's time that God snatched him away. And so we find information about this actually in the New Testament as well. It is what is called the letter of Jude or Jude's letter. Uh, Jude is a brother of James who is the half-brother of Jesus because Jesus' father was and is God, our creator, but then his biological mother, his human mother, was Mary. And so Jude is also a half-brother of Jesus. And so he talks about Enoch in his letter and trying to encourage the Christians of his day to contend for what they have learned to be true, both not just textually, but also experientially by God's Holy Spirit. And so here in Jude, Jude is one chapter, so it's just a chapter of verses, or it's a letter of verses, I guess, Jude 1, verse whatever. Um, here in verses 14 and 15, Jude talks about Enoch in regards to encouraging the Christians that, you know, stay faithful to God in spite of what's going on around you because. God is able to deliver you, and he uses Enoch as an example of being faithful in an ungodly time. And so in verses 14 and 15, it says, And Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied. He, he spoke under the inspiration of God's Spirit. He prophesied. That's what it means to prophesy in its most basic understanding. It just means to speak under the inspiration of God's direct inspiration. God's supernatural presence will step in whether you feel it or you don't feel it sometimes, and he will begin to give you thoughts and concepts and, and a message to speak to whatever audience that he wants you to speak to. So it says, and Enoch and the seventh generation from Adam prophesied about them. Look, the Lord comes with thousands of his holy ones, or another translation his saints, those who are set apart, who have 
followed God's commandments. And by following those commandments, they are set apart. They are um, set apart from the people that have not followed God's commandments. That's what it means to be a saint, not all this traditional stuff. Maybe for other traditions, it means something different. But biblically, it means to be set apart by following God's commandments, being set apart from everybody else that's not following God's commandments. Verse 15, to execute judgment on all and to convict them all of all their ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. So Enoch, God through Enoch prophesied, he foretold of his coming. And of course, we know that it is Jesus Christ himself coming. So God creates himself a human life in the person of Jesus Christ or as Jesus Christ. And he's foretelling thousands of years, a few thousand years before Jesus even came, that God was going to come with thousands of his saints and that he was going to come to judge the ungodly. And so this is what Enoch prophesied in his generation. And his generation is leading right up to the great flood. And so Enoch is a descendant of Seth. The world becomes very evil, wicked, and these times are compared to the times by Jesus Christ. Uh, they're compared to the times of how things are going to be when Jesus himself returns. So we need to find out what the times were like in Noah's day, uh, in the times that Enoch was taken out of the earth. And so we go to Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. And it says, When the Lord saw that man's wickedness was widespread on the earth, and that every scheme his mind thought of was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Then the Lord said, I will wipe off from the face of the earth mankind, whom I created, together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky. For I regret that I made them. And so we see that things became so bad in Enoch's time. And then we're going to find out that Noah was in his time as well. We find out that things got so bad that God said, I got to start. I got to, I got to start fresh. Things have gotten way out of hand. My, if we're talking about a company, the, the employees have gotten way out of hand. I got to shut this thing down. I've, and the thing is, we don't understand good and evil in the way God understands good and evil. We look at people, and I totally get it. We look at people and we say, how can God judge people and be, be so harsh? And what we don't understand and what he is going to show each and every one of us is he's going to show all the times that he sought to intervene in your life and in my life. And that's the only reason why I'm here is because of all of his interventions in my life and, and, and me humbling myself and being prayer and trying to be prayerful as much as I understood how to in, in that season of time of, okay, God, and this was my prayer because I didn't know God from God. I didn't know God from Jesus. My prayer was, God, if you're real, help me to know it. And little by little, he would send one person. Then, and then I followed that person for a while. And then the Lord started dropping uh, certain thoughts in my mind, which I can look back now and see it was God doing it. And then he would connect me to somebody else 
based off of that thought, that person that he connected me to didn't know, but I knew how God was dealing with me. And so when he dropped that thought on my mind and I couldn't find an adequate answer where I was at and the church I was in at that time, being prayerful, of course, then he would send me somebody else and they would address that issue that was in my mind or in my heart. And then I will continue on. And so God is going to show each and every one of us how he has tried and tried and tried and tried or how he has tried to lead us and guide us and how those of those who have hurt us and caused us to be in a bad frame of mind, he's going to hold them responsible. But it is our responsibility. It is your responsibility to be prayerful, to ask God to lead you and to guide you, to have your ears open, to be watchful and to listen. And God's not afraid of your struggles. He's not afraid of your hurts. He's not afraid of all the, all these things that we deal with. That is not God's deal. He wants us to get past the shame. He wants to heal the hurts. He wants to heal the hurts that cause us shame, uh, whether it's things we chose to do or things that people did to us, unfortunately. And so here it says that the Lord saw that man's wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every scheme his mind thought of was nothing but evil all the time. And that seems to be the case in our day. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Then the Lord said, I will wipe off from the face of the earth mankind whom I created. And then dropping down to the bottom, it says, for I regret, man, how bad did the world have to be that God said, I regret how bad. I mean, we we parents say that to children for so much less. Parents say that to children because parents don't understand children. Uh, they they say that to their children just because they they want to be selfish and go clubbing and be able to do what they want. But because they have children, they have to be responsible and they say such horrible things. But God didn't say this because of that. It was because mankind had become so wicked. And so the world becomes very evil. And in this generation of evil, there was Enoch that God points out. And then there was a man named Noah. And Noah, it says, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And that word for grace, it means he found, he found loving compassion in God's sight. Uh, just think of you, you have a crowd of people and, you know, perhaps you're what we deem a good hearted person. Uh, the Apostle Paul, um, a lot of times we we take a broad paintbrush, a big paintbrush, a very broad, flat paintbrush, and we just kind of paint everything with that brush. And we won't get like those little tiny tip brushes and we won't look at the details and paint the details because there's a lot of little details in the scriptures that a lot of times we overlook. And I would dare to say that's why God raises up teachers. There are those I got the chance to um, talk with uh, a dear and respected brother in our fellowship and movement, Dr. James Hughes. I got to talk to him and he was sharing his his experience on how he's a structural engineer. And he said, engineers have to have eyes for details because if your structure goes up and people get killed because it's not sound, it's because you didn't pay attention to the details. And And he was like, it's the same thing with psychology. You want to pay attention to the details. And so there's a lot of details. So I say all that to point out that Paul said in, the, in his letter to the believers in Rome, the letter to the Romans, 
he said that there was that part of him in Romans 7. He said there was that part, the law of his mind. With his mind, he wanted to do good, but with his, but his body, his flesh, his body that had that nature of sin, that desire and condition and that, that lean to do what's wrong with his body without God's Holy Spirit to empower him to do what's right. He said that with my mind, I serve the law of God, but with my body, my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And so when we talk about Noah, just like with Noah, God is looking for people that are what I would say, or what we, you know, societally would say are good-hearted people. You see how bad things are. You know how bad things are. And you try to maintain what goodness you have within you. And God doesn't look down on that. He's attracted to it. And just like in so many examples throughout the scriptures, he sends people to you or he connects people to you or perhaps this video or this podcast pops up in your ears and he's trying to draw you to himself or or wherever you're at, like I was when he uh, was leading and guiding me to where I'm at now, which, which is where I've been since 2009, the end of 2009. He's trying to lead you deeper. He's trying to get you closer to himself. And so just like with Noah, we can find grace, love, and kindness in the eyes of the Lord. And perhaps there are so many of you that maybe you watch this sooner than later or later than sooner or listen to it later than sooner and God draws you. And so God uses Noah as God prepares to bring judgment upon the wicked. He uses, as we learn, as we're going to learn in the next episode and in the next lesson, to build an ark, a place that when there's judgment all around, when God is doling out judgment for those who would refuse to turn to God, refuse to turn from their wicked ways, God says, I'm going to make a safe place for you. And if you want to be kept safe, I need you to get in the ark. And that ark is Jesus Christ. And that happens if we were one of those wicked people in that time and we had turned from our wickedness, we recognized, okay, you know what? Noah's right. And I turned from doing that wickedness to doing what was right. That's called repentance and turning to God's plan. That's called repentance. Now, as we're going to learn there are differences between the new covenant and what God requires and what happened in Noah's day and under the Mosaic covenant of law. Um, but there are so many similarities because of God, how God just planned it out. It was just, it's just so beautiful. And so with that, what, what are your takeaways from this? I, I find these stories amazing and just sharing them. Hopefully it conveys, right? Hopefully it, it comes across and you can kind of hear the the i don't know the excitement of it in my voice just sharing it is just awesome and so what are your concerns what are your questions what have you heard differently perhaps and if you got anything out of here i ask that you would like subscribe to the channel that way you know when i upload new videos up no upload the next video in this series um connect with me on the social media links but in the next video, we are going to look at God's uh, plan through Noah, um, what he did, what he instructed. And we're going to look uh, once again at some historical archaeological points and talking about Noah's Ark and talking about, for those familiar, all the animals that 
uh, Noah needed to get on the ark and things like that. We're going to look at it from a scientific standpoint and different things. And so until the next video, uh, check out the beginning of the series if you have not or check out another video. And until the next video, may God bless you and may you allow him to lead you and to guide you. That way you can be all he's created you to be. God bless you in Jesus name.